here today, Pastor E, Emmanuel, um, Kian, Sam, Sister Judith. <laughs> Praise God. And thank God for, um, I must give thanks for the, the council and all the hard work that's going on behind the scenes in order to um, keep us as a church functioning. Um, <clears throat> so welcome. Um, we are in a series going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and our series is titled Grow Up. Grow Up. It's the, it's the way we, as, after looking at this book and, and kind of seeing the, the different emphasis and the melodic line, um, we've tried to come up with a title that sums up the book in some way, shape, or form. It's not a conclusive summary, but it begins to help us to to think a little bit about the, 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 the perspective of the apostle as he's writing this letter. And his desire is that these believers in Corinth would mature. And how many of you know the same is true 2,000 years later in every single church. Um, God's desire is that his people, that his children would grow up and become mature. Amen. And um, so we're in chapter 4 today. And the title of this particular message today is called Discipline of a doting dad. Discipline of a doting dad. As mentioned before, this book has two kind of major sections, chapter 1 through to chapter 6, where Paul is responding to issues in this church that he's become aware of. The second section, chapter 7 through chapter 15, the second part of the book, he's answering letters that came previously in a previous letter to him, and he begins to respond to them. Now, we're not there yet. We're still in, in, in chapter 4. So chapter 1 to 6, Paul's still responding to these issues, you know, saying that he's become aware of. And one of the evident problems, I mean, we highlighted last week, or the problem um, behind the problem is pride. Pride. And it's this boastful arrogance that Paul is going to challenge in our text today. Um, and it's typified by this song that I've discovered um, from back in 1980 by a guy called Mac Davis. Now, you've probably never heard of him. Um, but he wrote quite a popular song back in the day. And here's one of the, one of the I think this is yeah, one of the first verses, or one, actually it might be the hook. And here's the hook. He says, he says, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. This is a, like a, it's a, it's a country and western song. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Right? That's, that's kind of like the melody, yeah? Uh, oh Lord, it's... <laughs> was, that, was that a gunshot? Was that a lick shot? Lick wood? Back in the day. Oh, man, to reload, you know. It's <laughs> come like carnival. Oh Lord, God corner. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a hell of a man. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. <laughs> Now, I shouldn't even be laughing, you know, because I would be scared to write these lyrics. Pastor, he's laughing, you know, because <laughs> he's, he's a lyricist himself. I'd be scared to write these lyrics, let alone sing them. Let alone sing them, you know. And that in private. Imagine the arrogance to sing a song like this in public. 
and not notice and not to an audience primarily. Can you see who Matt Davis is speaking to in the song? <laughs> My man said, Lord. Someone tell Mac, this type of thinking isn't consistent with the Lord that he's speaking to. This type of thinking is not consistent with a wholesome biblical perspective. As my mum would say, you don't take things like this and make joke. Yet this is the, this is the way that these Corinthian Christians to some degree are thinking. And this is way beyond the boundaries of Christian thinking. Well, let's just read um, the portion of text that comes before our text as we lead up into our text, which is going to be verse 14 to verse 21. I'm going to start in verse 6. Paul says, look, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Be careful that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Verse 7, for who sees anything different in you? Like, you know, what's the difference with you? What do you have that you did not receive if then you received it? And if that's the case, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Verse 8, already you have all that you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And would that you did reign? Here's the sarcasm. So that, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. Like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. Verse 10. For we are fools for Christ's sake. But, but you are wise. And watch, watch how he compares himself with these Corinthian Christians. There shouldn't be a dichotomy. There shouldn't be a separation and a distinction. But he's going to highlight that there is. He said, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That's how we're seen. Verse 14, now this is our portion. Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Verse 18, but some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out. Not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Let's just pray before we jump in. <sighs> Father, the Bible says that our hearts are deceitful and extremely wicked. Who can know, who can know the human heart? 
Even we don't know our own hearts. We don't know the, the depths of our darkness. But you do. Yet, you love us. Yet, you're committed to us. Yet, you want to be a father to us. And like a good father, your desire for us is that we would grow up, that we would become mature, that we wouldn't stay infants. Ultimately, that we would grow up and become more like you, that we would reflect the character of our father. Help us as we explore these themes today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question we began to ask last week was, how do you teach someone who thinks they know everything? How do you teach someone who thinks they know everything? I mean, if you know, the biggest challenge in that isn't the person's lack of knowledge, but their arrogant posture. The real problem behind the problem is pride. And, and this goes some way to describe the general attitude of some of these Corinthian Christians. They were proud, verse 7. They were puffed up, verse 6. They were clueless, verse 8 to 13. They're finding it hard to be humble <laughs> because they think they're perfect in every way. And Paul is in the process of trying to address and adjust their view of themselves, this special exclusive significance that they hold. And right from the beginning of this letter, you know, and, and it is a letter, you know what I'm saying? We have to bear that in mind. You know what I'm saying? Because when you're writing a letter, you know what you want to say, you know. And Paul knows what, he's wanted, what he wants to say. And he's conscious, you know what I'm saying, of their misunderstandings from the jump, from the gate, from the beginning, from before the pen hits the paper. He knows exactly where they're at. And listen to what he says right at the beginning of his letter in chapter 1, verse 2. Um, it should come up on the screen. Paul says, second verse of the first chapter. He says, to the church of God that is where? In Corinth. So he's, he's obviously speaking to these believers, right? To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And we'll come back to this sanctification business in a minute. Right? It means to be set apart for God's glory, you know what I'm saying, and, and changed and transformed into his image. He said, he said, those of you in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, notice, called to be saints on your own, like just you lot, like, in, like distinctly, like separately, you're special. No. He says, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. Can you see the inclusivity rather than this exclusivity? Right from the beginning. Paul knows exactly what, you know what I'm saying. Paul's got their ticket. And can you hear Paul saying, come on now, this isn't just about you, you Corinthian believers. You know what I'm saying? You are a part of one body. Remember, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You're just the same as all the other Christians. You're just the same as the rest of us. What makes you think you're special and distinct? <laughs> See, from the gate, from the beginning, this Paul understands this about them. <sighs> and he says, look, but the problem is you're not patterning up. You're not following the pattern, and you want to disregard, notice, you want to disregard God's messenger. Me, says Paul. You forget that it was me that come and introduced you to Jesus in the first place? 
Your powers of deduction have malfunctioned. You're going beyond the boundaries of scripture, elevating your perspectives even above God's. Come on now. Elevating Corinthian thinking above scripture, going beyond what is written. And, and you're none the wiser. You're clueless. It's dangerous. And not only do you disregard me, the messenger, now you don't rate the message. Changing and adapting the message, like trying to update it, coming like, is it Acro, Adobe Acrobat? You know that program? Every minute is jumping up out of my, what's it call it? At the bottom, bottom of the line of my computer, trying to update. Always updating. There's, there's no Christianity 2.0. There's no new version, no, which, which is now reshaped by the world. No. Paul says Christianity has, has always been, will always be cross-shaped. Paul reminded them earlier in chapter 2, verse 2. Remember when he said, you know what? I determined to know nothing among you apart from Christ crucified. Because he knew that, they, that, that their gaze had wandered away from that. And it's funny because just a couple of weeks ago, I, I, over Easter, I watched a part of the Passion of the Christ again. I think some of you might have seen where I just, it's not often, I, I don't really do the social media thing. I can't keep up, it's too much. But now and again, and I'm saying, and I just sent a little clip. It was a song, the Via de la Rosa, and, 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 it, and it had sections of the Passion of the Christ in the song. Powerful. And I watched it and I, I couldn't believe how much I'd forgotten about the cross. And when I saw Jesus' suffering, it broke me. I was, I was bawling like a baby. When I, when I remembered the suffering of, of my Savior, the suffering of our Savior. You know what I mean? And Paul says, don't ever forget this. Don't ever move away from, you know what I'm saying, this cross-shaped Christianity. Because you'll end up with a cross-less Christianity, which is no Christianity at all. Paul reminded them, I'm determined to know nothing among you other than Christ crucified because they'd forgotten the cross. And Paul plays them at their own game, doesn't he? We saw in chapter, in, 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 in verse 8 to verse 13 last week. And he sarcastically compares and contrasts himself with them. And he, he identifies this massive, this massive distinction, this difference, which comes as a result of them adjusting the message for themselves. They tried to drag the promises of the future, remember, into the present. They're grasping for a crown, dismissing the cross. How many of you know there's no, there's no crown without a cross? Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you know what I'm saying, you've got to deny yourself, pick up your cross. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a cross with your name on it if you're a Christian and, and mine too. You know what I'm saying? Ouch. Um, he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So our Christianity, our walk, to some degree, is going to look a bit like Jesus's. That mean doesn't mean that obviously we're going to be executed literally. But Paul says, "I die daily." And how many of you know if you're if you're Christian, you you, you to some degree understand what that means, or you have the you have the opportunity to die daily. You know what I'm saying? When you're confronted with challenges, confronted with difficulties. And so if you right now in your life are going through a difficult time, like Kian mentioned earlier, you know I'm saying? Don't see that as a strange thing. You know what I'm saying? I think Peter says that, doesn't he? He says, don't think it's strange, brethren. You know what I'm saying? 
when, when you, when, uh, and James also, you know, when you fall into diverse temptations and trials, <laughs> but rejoice. <laughs> Man said rejoice, you know. Because really that's a mark of true Christianity, you know what I'm saying? And, and you, like Jesus, are putting yourself in that place where somebody's taking advantage of you. You know what I'm saying? You don't retaliate. Like Paul says here, as we just read a moment ago. And it looks weak, but it's actually very strong. It's actually harder to respond in kindness and forgiveness than it is to retaliate, you know what I'm saying, um, violently or angrily. So you're only following, you're only emulating the master in that sense. So, so, so Paul saying, if you leave the cross out of your message, it will soon disappear out of your lifestyle. These, <laughs> these Corinthian Christians, they were, high f- they were flying high enjoying <laughs> club class Christianity. Not realizing that the C doesn't stand for club class. The, st- the, s- the C stands for cabin crew. Big difference. As Paul says at the beginning of this chapter, he says we're supposed to be servants and stewards. He says, you look like kings, but we look like paupers. You look impressive in your club class. And I'm saying, and we look weak as servants. You're accepted and esteemed by the world. We look like clowns. Sarcastically, Paul says, can you see the difference? Paul's like, I originally brought the message to you. So therefore, I see it as my responsibility now to correct you, to challenge you, to to disciple you, to help you as children to grow and to become mature. Let's look at our first verse, verse 14. Paul says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed. I'm trying to embarrass you, you know what I'm saying? But to admonish you as my beloved children. Embarrassing you wasn't my intention, says Paul. Although my sarcasm was meant to sting. (laughs) Admonitions, they come packaged like that, don't they? Otherwise, they don't really have no impact or power. The New King James Version translates admonition as strong warning. It means to reprove or to caution says, you're my spiritual kids, and I love you. You are, notice, my beloved children, he says. Beloved children. Before one thing should say, oh, you're my kids. No, he says, you're my beloved children. And in the original, the word for children is actually son. So if you listen to that carefully, can you hear an echo? He says, you are my beloved sons. Where do you remember hearing that? Is it slightly reminiscent of Luke chapter 3, verse 22, at Jesus' baptism? And it says, The Holy Spirit descended on, on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, this, this, this is the voice of the Father. You are, notice, my beloved Son. With you I am, I am well pleased, says the Father about Jesus. This is a term of endearment. It speaks of a deep, treasured, special relationship, right? The love that Paul has 
for these Corinthians was like the love that God the Father has for God the Son. And Paul proves it in verse 15, because he says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you know, he says you don't have many fathers. You have countless guides in Christ. (laughs) Boy, there's a lot that could be said about that. But you don't have many fathers. Paul's like, you know what? I'm not going to apologize. He's like, I'm not seeking permission. The problem behind the problem of your arrogance is pride and it's corrosive. Paul was, he was only away from these believers for a short period of time. And look, already, they're way off topic, you know, way, way off task, way off piste. Illicit sexual behavior, we're going to see next week in chapter 5. Christians taking one another to court, sleeping with prostitutes in chapter 6. Husbands and wives depriving one another of sex in chapter 7. Also in that same chapter, husbands and wives getting divorced for unbiblical reasons. Again, going beyond that which is written. And later in chapter 15, you get to the point where they're not even believing in the resurrection. And that's heresy. I mean, it's one thing, okay, kind of getting your, your, you know what I'm saying, your eschatology a little bit skewed. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I, I thought that was what mark of the beast. Well, this is what it means. Well, we're not sure what it means. And you know what I'm saying? You can, we, we, we can, you know what I'm saying? There, there are things, oh, why did I even mention that? You know what I'm saying? There are things that we can, um, we can discuss over a cup of coffee that are not really going to change, you know what I'm saying, anything major. Major things like the resurrect, major things like the deity of Christ, major things like um, the virgin birth. And major things like the resurrection. These are fundamental to our Christianity. I think I was saying to Pastor E last week, I wasn't sure if I might have given the impression that, you know, Christians on a spectrum, you know, some believe in the resurrection, some don't. Let me just clarify that if I did. You know what I'm saying? I never had the, the courage to go back and listen to it. I need to go back and listen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, the resurrection is fundamental to Christian doctrine. You know what I'm saying? But this is how far, you know what I'm saying, these Corinthians had strayed off-topic, off-piste, and it hadn't been long. You see how quickly the rot set in? I remember Paul, Paul knew what was going on from chapter 1, right? The beginning of this letter. But notice, he doesn't tear into them <laughs> until he gets to chapter 4, 5, and 6. How many of you know that's grace? Question. How many of you know it's not easy being a dad? I wonder how many dads we have listening and watching. Normally, when, when the room's full, you can ask a question and, ah, oh, put your hand up. I can't ask for a show of hands, apart from the couple of men. I've got, I got a couple of men putting up their hand. Amen. A couple of the married men, them. Um, and dads. How many of you dads know it's not easy being a dad? <laughs> Boy, the temptation often, I know, for me, is to jump in with both feet into an incident. You know what I'm saying? With steel toe cap boots. You remember steel toe cap boots? With spikes on it. Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. Sorry, Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 are very helpful. Notice, pointedly, (laughs) it says, verse 4, Ephesians 6. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. It doesn't say this to the the mums. (laughs) Because it's dads that got this propensity. You know what I'm saying? 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'm saying that goes to show that not all instruction is going to be heavy handed. Sometimes it needs to be, you know what I'm saying, obviously carefully. Um, and then Colossians 3 intimates something similar. Verse 21 says, Fathers, 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 do not, why? Because it's our proclivity. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You know what I mean? It's not easy being a dad. And men, we have a tendency to be short-tempered and impetuous. Now, some of you may disagree, especially if dad wasn't around for you. You know what I mean? You'd be like, no, nah, it weren't like that in my house. My mum my was the one who was quick on the draw, <laughs> quick to draw for the frying pan, you know, quick to swing the frying pan. And even for us, I would say, as church leaders, you know what I'm saying, trying to follow Paul as he follows Christ you know what I'm saying? If you can see the example, it may, see, it may seem sometimes as if, as if we, you know what I'm saying, don't see, or we may seem to overlook stuff. But we're just trying to be measured. We're trying to be gracious. You know what I'm saying? Following the example or even of Paul here. It's not until chapter four he dives in. How, you see, and how does the Lord deal with me? And how, and how does the Lord deal with you? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, other than graciously. But then, if we resist correction and continue in our insubordination, the time will come for confrontation and possibly discipline if necessary. Now, let me just say this real quick. Just because you lead someone to, to Christ, you lead someone to Jesus, doesn't mean that you have authority over them. Be like, I lead you to Christ, you know, like, so don't forget, who's your daddy? It's like, that's when, that's when stuff starts getting weird, you know what I mean? Heavy shepherding and, you know what I'm saying, control, bordering on manipulation, etc. I'm saying leading someone to Christ doesn't give you or I apostolic, apostolic authority over them. You know what I'm saying? But what it does mean is that you have a special relationship. You know what I'm saying? A very, a very unique relationship. One where there is a certain amount of respect and willingness on the part of the disciple, you know what I'm saying, to learn and be instructed and to be teachable. You know what I'm saying? It's, only, it's the way that you would, you know, in, 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 in Timothy, Paul says, you don't rebuke an elder, but you entreat them as a father. So someone who's older than you, someone who's over you, you know what I'm saying, you respect them. And I think, you know, the back part of the 20th, the back part of the 20th century coming into this 21st century, I think we've lost a lot of that, even culturally. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're coming from a culture, at least I am, where, you know what? You dare not disrespect your parents. You know what I'm saying? You're careful how you speak to your parents. You know what I'm saying? You're careful how you speak to those who are older than you. You know what I'm saying? There's a respect there. And, you know what I'm saying? I, I see that in, I, I saw that in Jamaican culture. It's, it's lacking, you know what I'm saying? And, and I definitely see that in African culture, but it's waning, you know what I mean? And, and, and I would say that that's not a good thing, you know what I mean? We've got to appreciate the special relationship that we have with our elders, with our elders, with those who are over us, those, you know what I'm saying, and be teachable and, being, and be humble, not act like it's hard to be humble. 
because I'm perfect in every way. I'm not. We're not. We need to, we need to remember that. And remember, Paul showed, remember he showed a deference to Ananias. When Paul got saved on the road to Damascus and, and, and the Lord sent Ananias to him, even though Paul's, Paul's going to be big, 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 big apostle, you know what I'm saying? Paul humbly responded to the instructions that Ananias gave him. And Ananias never even had no title. The Bible describes him as a disciple. You know what I'm saying? And, and then the Philippian jailer, do you remember when, when he was converted, like when Paul was converted in, 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 in Acts 9? When the Philippian jailer was, was converted in Acts chapter 16, he showed a humility. Like he was beating on Paul before he got saved in the jail. But then after he gets saved, complete, trans, complete transformation, and there's a deference, there's a humility, there's a, you know what I'm saying, he begins to humbly follow Paul's instructions after his conversion in Acts 16. Special relationship, you know what I'm saying? The disciple responds and respects the elder, and the elder has a love and a commitment for their quote-unquote son or child in the faith. You know what I'm saying? Verse 15, Paul says, for though, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. He says, what I'm talking about is lacking. You know what I'm saying? Apart from your commitment as a disciple wanting to learn, it's hard to find good fathers out here. You know what I'm saying? And that's an understatement, right? Countless guides in Christ, not many fathers, but I have, beca- I have become your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Another translation says, for, th- for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. And I think that's that partly what that says is you don't just have one father. You have someone that leads you to the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And, and it, there's that special relationship. But then you have other people that can feed into your life in a father-type manner. I'm saying there are people in my life who have been fathers to me I've never met. And I'm saying guys like back, I remember way back in the day when I was struggling to get some good Bible like teaching. Derek Prince, not everything that probably he says I would advocate, but man like him fathered me from a distance. Man like Rick Godwin, Pastor E. Remember back in the day? Come on, Ricky G. Come on, training in rain, raining, training for raining. Come on, a level Christianity, you know. Oi. You know what I mean? That stuff was groundbreaking for us. You know what I'm saying? And um, so we have you have you, you have you have thousands of <laughs> of instructors, but very few, very few fathers. There's a big difference between you know what I'm saying, a YouTube gu- gu- guru and a committed loving. Sp- I've got to be careful. I'm on YouTube now, isn't it? <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? And the difference between someone just spouting stuff. You know what I mean? And a real father in the faith. Fathers get up close and personal. They're committed. You know what I'm saying? In the good times and also in the bad times. Fathers make an impact on their kids. (laughs) Sometimes you don't see the impact till later. You know what I mean? Fathers contribute to the development and the maturity of their children. Spiritually, primarily here, but also biologically. You know what I'm saying? A child that has input from a committed father, the statistics prove the overwhelming benefit of that investment. Not true. You know, my uncle passed away two weeks ago, and I had the privilege of officiating his funeral just Thursday gone. Um, My uncle Aston, (laughs) nicknamed Biggie. (laughs) 
Uncle Biggie. And yeah, he lived up to that name, trust me. And you know, it's like Jamaican culture. Like if you, you get a nickname, often it's not you that come up with your nickname. <laughs> it's a nickname, you know what I'm saying, that the, the others give you, you assume, you know what I mean? And, um, and he was, he was a big character. And he's like born in the 1920s. And I'm saying from the old, that Windrush generation, you know, cut from a different cloth, hardworking, never complaining, dedicated. And I'm saying like our parents back then to, to, to live through what they lived through in the 50s and the 60s, come on, different quality. Again, and may God help us to, to emulate them in that sense. And, and my uncle Biggie, he was the father of four sons and his influence on those boys, those boys who are now men, was cosmic. Shout out to Laurie, to Robin, to Gary and Stephen, especially if you're listening. May God help you to go on and emulate everything that a father ought to be. The Apostle Paul had a gospel commitment to these believers in Corinth that went beyond mere words. So Paul says, who are you going to follow? Who are you going to emulate? Well, it should be a no-brainer, right? Verse 16, but Paul's got to urge them because they're not getting it. I urge you then, be imitators of me. You know, it's, it's, it's tough setting yourself, up, setting yourself up as someone for others to follow. You know what I mean? Verse 17, that is why I sent Timothy, notice the twist on words. That's why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Paul saying this is, this is the common standard everywhere, in every, look, across all churches, all Christians of all ages, throughout all generations, everywhere. Paul's like, I'm going to send you a helpful living and breathing, practical, healthy example of what spiritual maturity looks like. Timothy, who, notice, he is also a beloved son. He's a chip off the old block. And actually, Timothy doesn't fundamentally look like Paul. Timothy looks like Jesus, who Paul is aiming to emulate. Timothy is following Paul as he follows Christ. Now, it's not easy to pick up from just hearing one side of the conversation, because we're hearing Paul all the time, right, here. Um, but there's another side to the conversation, and we do get clues from what Paul says in terms of what, what, what his hearers are thinking and how they're going to respond. Here we see what seems to be some anticipated pushback. They're not really hearing Paul. You'd think after all that, Paul laying out his heart, like bleeding on the floor, saying, I love you. You're my beloved children. I'm trying to be a father to you out here. You'd think they'd be like, oh, yeah, oh, cool. All right, Paul, we'll give you five minutes. Talk to us. What are you saying? Mm -mm. You'd think these Corinthian believers would be excited at the prospect of growth and development, but no. They're like, Paul, sorry, bro. Who wants to look like you? They don't, they, they don't appreciate the picture of Timothy mirroring Paul or the picture of the ultimate beloved son, Jesus, reflecting and imitating his heavenly father. All they see is 
I'm about to lose my social standing. Do you understand the implications of this, Paul? My material wealth is at stake. My health and well-being may be at risk. I'm going to have to... What? To be like that? I'm going to have to make sacrifices. No thanks, Paul. You ain't my daddy. I want to be like you. I want to be like you, Paul. I'm not on it. <laughs> Keep it moving, brother. We know Paul's kids, his spiritual children, they disown him. And it's only what they were doing before. Remember verse 8? Paul says, they say, this is them speaking, we've become kings. You apostles are last of all, like men sentenced to death. We're not feeling the death thing. A spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. I don't want to be a fool for Christ's sake. I want to be wise in the world's estimation. Not weak and unimpressive like you, Paul. Ew. And don't bother with Timothy. Like, why? So that I can lose my credibility. I'm in a strong position now. Don't spoil it. I'm held in honor. And so verse 11 goes on, as we read earlier, with the same sentiment. See, we, we suspect that this is the anticipated response from a select group of club-class Corinthians. They ain't trying to be cabin crew. We see that because of verse 18 to 21. Notice, notice, this is how they feel. Verse 18, Paul says, you're not getting it, are you? You're not feeling my fatherhood, you don't want to be my sons. Look, he says, some, some are arrogant. Not, not all of them. Verse 18, some are arrogant. As though I were not coming to you, you know, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Power. Strange word, interesting word. Um, I mean, if you know, Paul had power. He come across as weak, you know, and he weren't much apparently, historically. There's a suggestion that he was quite a short man with a bald head, like slap head, you know what I mean? It's like not very impressive, and we're going to see this in a minute. But you know what? Paul, was a, Paul carried some serious power. Paul struck Elemas with blindness in Acts chapter 13. And that wasn't one, there was more than one occasion where something like that happened. Remember when Peter rebuked Ananias and Sapphira, they both dropped down dead. Like, you want to talk about power? And it's not their power, this is actually the power of God, but they functioned, and that's what I'm saying, the capital A apostles, there ain't no apostles like them now. You know what I mean? that they were in a specific category who had seen the risen Christ and testified on that basis, you know what I'm saying? And so they had miracles and signs and wonders following their ministries, but it wasn't following them. It was, it was identifying the, the word of God that they were declaring in those initial days. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't work miracles now. Of course he does, you know what I'm saying? But be careful when someone wants to try and make out like they're the apostles, 
You know what I'm saying? There are apostles today, let me just clarify that, but small a apostles, like missionaries and church planters. And, and there might be the odd occasion where, you know what I'm saying, the Lord does some, something miraculous and amazing, but we've got to understand the category that they fell under with regards to... And, and so I'm saying they had power, <laughs> undeniable power. But there's another type of power that I think that Paul actually is speaking about here. You know what I'm saying? He's not talking about coming when I come, you know, I'm going to lick you lot down. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, um, you remember when they, the, the, the prison guards come to get Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane? And they were like, all right, which one's Jesus? You know what I'm saying? And, he, and Jesus says, I am. And all of them fell over backwards. Like, they must have dropped down. Like, what did they, like, I wonder what that experience must have been like. But there's a power there, but, but, I think the power that is being described here is the power that Paul describes a couple chapters before in chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, verse 1 to 6, listen to what Paul says. And I think this is his appeal. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, remember this is previously, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, and him crucified. Verse 3. And I was with you, notice, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Externally to look at Paul. There was nothing that was, you know I'm saying, amazing. Even with Jesus, there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that says to look at him, there was nothing special about him that made you go, ooh. You know what I'm saying? He didn't hover six inches above the ground. He didn't have a, a halo, you know what I'm saying, on his head. He didn't levitate. And you might think about that when you think about power. You know what I'm saying? Jesus was a, it was a lamb who came to be slaughtered. There was a weakness that, now he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, don't get it twisted. But that's at his second coming, you know what I'm saying? At his first coming, he came like a, a lamb to be slaughtered, to become the sacrifice for our sins. You know what I'm saying? And again, anyone that follows him in that manner, I think, is it Revelation chapter 12 that talks about, and they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they love not their lives unto the death. I'm saying that's the testimony of the genuine believer who's following Jesus. You know what I mean? If you're in a place where you're going through a difficult time and you're struggling, you know what I mean? Like for me, like one of the real powerful things is, um, is in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your tribulation, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your burden, in the midst of your pain, you know what I'm saying? You're still smiling. You're still praising God like Job. You know what I mean? The Bible says even though Job went through all that he went through, Job lost all of his, he just, Job lost his whole business overnight. He lost all of his kids overnight. They all died. And then on top of that, he got wrapped with sickness from, the head, from, from head to toe. And the Bible says Job never cursed God. Job, you know what he done? He, 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 he tore his, his, his garment, shaved his head, and he fell on his knees. And he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I hear that and I'm like, wow. For me, that's powerful. You know what I'm saying? Because people can identify with that. There are people that are going through stuff that's never going to change. It's never going to get any better. You know what I'm saying? And, and for me to come, come over and wave a magic wand and say, like, abracadabra, you know, shalakazam, and in Jesus' name, like, cha things change. Like, it's not that we don't pray in Jesus' name, but sometimes things are not going to just change. 
And I think, I think what is powerful is when someone sees you or me going through a difficult situation and we go through it. You know what I'm saying? And, by the, and, and are sustained and kept by the power of, by the, by the power of God. You know what I'm saying? It's a different way of looking at power. That is power. That is power. And listen to what Paul says. He says, I decided to do nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. It's like I was tripping over my words. They never even came out as clearly and as, as co coherently as I would have liked to. But it was in demonstration of the spirit and of power. How do we know? Because they got saved. That power transformed them. And I'm saying that your faith, Paul says, may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I wonder if the power that Paul is really talking about here when he says he's going to come to them. See, it's the evident power of God that converted them, that had justified them. And it was the same power of God that Paul was depending on to continue that work of salvation in their sanctification, in sanctifying them. This is the power he's talking about. It's the sanctification that he spoke about in verse 2 at the beginning of chapter 1 at the opening of his letter. Paul's like, the, the power that I want to see exercised is going to come from God. It's not coming from me. And I'm saying, Paul's under no illusions. I'm saying he don't think that he's great like Mac Davis in the song verse 21 he says what do you wish Paul's like okay what do you wish shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness it's like I'm coming and I'm saying we, we can make this like it's like it's like you, you, you're gonna pick you get pick option A or pick option B. <laughs> I remember one of my one, one of my like one of my favorite actors is The Rock, and um, what film is it? Is he in? I can't remember. Um, but he's in this film anyway, and he says to this he says to this guy that you know he's some kind of mercenary or something, and he's like, look, I'm gonna give you option take up is oh, I'm gonna give you option A or you got option B. He says, I recommend you take option A. <laughs> And the guy firms it, and he takes option B. And my man just deals with him horribly, but nicely. I'm saying, Paul's like, option A or option B? Paul says, will you continue to be proud, puffed up, and arrogant, or will you humble yourself? Your response, Paul says, will determine my approach. Can you see the discipline of a doting dad? This helpfully prepares us for what's coming next week in chapter 5. Let's pray. <sighs> Father, thank you um, for your word. Um, it's life to us. Father, thank you that your word is it's instructive. It's corrective. Father, it's, it's a... It's a it's, it's, and it's an example, an outworking of your love for us. And you say things to us that are really nice and wonderful and encouraging, like we're your children and you love us. We're your beloved children. 
But then you also say, well, as my beloved children, yeah, like I'm your dad, I want you to be like me. And Father, you set the perfect example for us. And um, it's crazy because Father Jesus says we need to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. And Lord, we fall short so consistently, so often. Um, but as your children, we trip over, you dust us off, you forgive us, and you pick us up, and you encourage us along again. And sometimes, Lord, when we're disobedient and rebellious, then you discipline us. But you do so for our benefit, Romans 12, in order that we might reflect your character. So, Father, today we thank you. Not Paul, but you are the doting dad. You are the one who loves us so much so. And through Jesus, give us the opportunity to have a special relationship with you. And that, through his death on the cross, bringing us in. We were once your enemies. Imagine, now you've adopted us as your children in your family. Our Father, your desire is that our Christianity would be cross-shaped. Not shaped and reshaped and refashioned by the world, but that we'd stick to the pattern. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us not to get heady and high-minded, Lord, and, and try and be club-class Christians flying first-class. Yeah, we're on the plane, but Lord, we're the cabin crew. Help us to know that. And as we do that, we're only following Paul's example, who's following Jesus' example. Oh, thank you, Lord. I pray that you would encourage us, Lord, by your, through your word today in Jesus' name. Help us to grow up, I pray. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality. 